Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. That's me. If you're a newcomer to the program, then welcome aboard. Let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee where you are listening from, how you heard about the show, and why this week was the one you uh, made your first taste of the Pipeline Show. If you're a returning listener, then obviously a big thank you for that. And if you're a patron, well, super duper thank you. Your uh, support Obviously means the world to me. Thank you very much for that. Go to patreon.com slash show. This week on the program, we are recapping the CHL trade deadline activities across the Canadian Hockey League. All three leagues we're going to look at. we got four guests coming up. We're going to break the WHL in half. I will tell you who those guests are momentarily, but a reminder that the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It is the best beef jerky that you have ever had. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Three locations in the Edmonton area. You can pick it up in person in Leduc, in Spruce Grove, and in West Edmonton Mall. Some massive trades over the course of uh, the last uh, 10 days or so. It all wrapped up on January 10th for the OHL and the WHL. The queue was a couple of days before that not going to go into uh, length here in the opening segment to talking about those trades because that's what the rest of the show is for. Uh, so let's just dive into some news and notes. Uh, as I'm speaking with you right now, it's uh, Friday the 13th of January and uh, the NHL Central Scouting has put out their midterm rankings and no surprise to see who is uh, ranked number one in North America and that of course is Connor Bedard. Adam Fantilli is next. A couple of players from the U.S. National Development Program and Will Smith and Ryan Leonard. Uh, they are 3-4. and four. Braden Yeager from the Moose Jaw Warriors comes in at number 5. Oliver Moore from Team USA is also uh, in the top 10. He comes in at number 6. Zach Benson is number 7, which will, I'm sure will raise some eyebrows, as a lot of people have him uh, in the top 5 overall. This, of course, is just North American skaters, not uh, including Euros or goaltenders of any kind. Uh, Matthew Wood comes in at number 8, playing for UConn. Samuel Honzik of the Vancouver Giants is number 9. Colby Barlow of Owen Sound is ranked number 10 in North America by NHL Central Scouting. The one I think is going to get a lot of people uh, 
angry is Andrew Crystal, who comes in at number 16 on the NHL Central Scouting list. If there are some other slights that you think or guys who are stiffed by Central Scouting, you can let me know that on Twitter as well at TPS underscore Gee. The CHL Top 10 this week has the Winnipeg Ice ranked number one. The Seattle Thunderbirds are number two. They actually played yesterday, as I'm speaking with you, with the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds winning that game. So I guess it stands to reason that there's probably going to be a flip there. The Quebec Rampart are number three. Ottawa, number four. Saskatoon is five, followed by London, Portland, Halifax, North Bay, and Kamloops, the number 10 ranked team. Honorable mentions this week by the CHL go to Sherbrooke, Ruin Duranda, and the Peterborough Peets. Because the entire show is all CHL stuff, we're going to skip the usual uh, scoring leaders and things like that uh, from the CHL. Let's uh, drop down to the United States Hockey League and just get updated what's happening there. The standings, the top team by points would be Chicago with 42. Fargo has 41, but by winning percentage, because of uh, one game in hand, the Fargo Force are actually the number one team in the USHL. Now, they're both in separate conferences, so they're uh, leading their respective conferences, obviously. Pretty good cushion for Chicago. Green Bay is next, but uh, eight points behind. And in the West, uh, Fargo has a four-point lead over the Lincoln Stars. However, Lincoln does have one game in hand there, so a tighter race in the West. Your scoring leaders, four of the top five in the USHL coming from the Chicago Steel. They would be Jack Harvey, Mike Emerson, Max Celebrini, and Nick Molinar. Good to see him back playing. The one outlier there is uh, Miko Matika, who plays for the Madison Capitals. Switching to the North American Hockey League, top team by points, the Maryland Black Bears. Top team by winning percentage would be the Lone Star Brahmas, but much like the USHL, those two teams not in the same division. Uh, and Lone Star of those two is actually having the more impressive season as they've got four games in hand on uh, Maryland for that overall standing. The tightest race in the North American Hockey League would be in the Midwest Division where Fairbanks and the Minnesota Wilderness are separated by just a single point and the Kenai River Brown Bears are just two points back of Minnesota. So three points separating the top three teams in the Midwest Division. Your uh, leading scorer right now in the North American Hockey League is Dave Andrichuk, 47 points. Paul Minahan has 43 and uh, Hunter Lungi has 41. Christian Catalano, uh, with Maryland, who's been on the show this year, has 37 points. Really had a tough stretch uh, from the end of November, well, basically all of December, no points in six games leading up to Christmas. He's played a couple times uh, since into the new year and uh, has three points in those two games. Let's wrap up the opening segment looking at the NCAA's uh, top 20, according to USCHO. Quinnipiac has the number one spot now with 40 of the first place votes. Three other clubs getting a little bit of uh, love for first place. Minnesota had five first place votes. They come in at number two. St. Cloud is ranked three, and Denver ranked number four. Both of those clubs also getting a little bit of attention uh, for or consideration, let's say, for first place. Now, it is just poll, and maybe we should look more closely at the pairwise, but uh, the rest of the top 20 it goes Penn State, Michigan, Boston University, Ohio State, Harvard, and Merrimack at the number 10 position. Connecticut has dropped out of the top 10. Uh, they're at 11. Western Michigan, Michigan Tech, Providence, Cornell, 
The UMass Lowell Riverhawks are 16. Then you got Michigan State, Minnesota State, Massachusetts, and Boston College ranked number 20. North Dakota on the outside, I think they'd be ranked number 22, basically. Might be the first time I've seen North Dakota outside the top 20 in, I, I don't even remember the last time. Definitely a an unusual year uh, for the Fighting Hawks. And Minnesota Duluth as well, way out of it right now. Now, speaking of the pairwise, it's tight, but the Golden Gophers are number one. Quinnipiac, St. Cloud, uh, that is your one, two, three. Penn State and Denver right there as well, uh, coming up four and five. So a little bit, the uh, same teams, but a little bit uh, different order. And the stats leaders in the NCAA right now, it is still Ryan McAllister, the freshman at Western Michigan, who is uh, leading the nation in scoring. He's got 38 points. Austin Swankler of Bowling Green is the closest guy to him. He's got 34. Jason Poland, who is uh, McAllister's teammate at Western Michigan and linemate, has 30, as does Colin Graff at Quinnipiac. Massimo Rizzo at Denver with 29 points. The third member of that top line in Western Michigan, that's Max Sasson. He's got 28 points, as does Jimmy Snuggerud of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So there's your top six or seven guys playing college hockey. All right, let's get to the guest list. This week uh, I have four people who are going to join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The brewery is located right in the heart of Red Deer. Heading down to Red Deer today as the Edmonton Oil Kings are in action, taking on the Rebels. Oil Kings riding a two-game win streak right now, playing the best hockey I've seen from them this year. Tough test tonight against the uh, the Red Deer Rebels, though, who have owned the Oil Kings this season. Anyway, Troubled Monk is available at any liquor store in Alberta. If they don't have it, you can request it because it is available to them. And I know Troubled Monk is renowned for their craft beer, but they've got craft sodas, and they get into uh, liquor and spirits as well. So uh, go to their website, that's troubledmonk.com slash shop, and check out everything that they have available. Here's the four guests that we have for you today and the order that we will go through it. We're basically going to go from east to west. We're going to start in the queue with Patrick McNeil. He's the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. Lots of action out in the queue, and we'll uh, get a lay of the land now that the trade deadline out there has come and gone. Same thing in the OHL, except this time it'll be Brad Cogemilio. He's based in Sault Ste. Marie, covers the Greyhounds, and writes for Sioux Today. What sort of an impact does the return of Shane Wright have? And Brent Clark, two guys who uh, have been playing professionally this year back in the OHL. And then we're going to split the WHL in half. We're going to start in the Western Conference of the Dub and uh, Josh Kreitzer from PNW Hockey Talk after some significant moves at the top of the Western Conference where you had Seattle, Kamloops, and Portland all making big moves before the deadline. And looking at the Eastern Conference of the WHL, a newcomer to the show, Ian Gustafson, writes for the Red Deer Advocate, obviously in Red Deer. The Rebels doing a little tinkering. The Winnipeg Ice, probably the most active team in the Eastern Conference. Saskatoon also making a move. We'll get his thoughts on all of that. But we will start in the queue. Patrick McNeil, voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it, rolling puck, Lafreniere works in, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Well, the frickin' God! Hey, it's The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to begin this week's episode. Look, we're going to go through the all three uh, of the Canadian Hockey League uh, leagues after the trade deadline. What's changed? Uh, we're going to start in the queue. But uh, quick reminder that the program brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Turkey. It's Alberta's best. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada. Go to their website at wilhawkbeefturkey.com. Unfortunately, my next guest too far away uh, to get some of that delicious Wilhawk Beef Turkey. But, Pat, you'll have to take my word for it. Patrick McNeil, he's the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Patrick. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me, Guy. And I would definitely be trying some beef jerky if I was out your way. But uh, that will have to wait for, for another time, I guess. But excited right. to talk hockey always. Well, and uh, I guess exciting times. Uh, from the outside looking in, it, it's hard sometimes to gauge what's happening in the leagues that you don't cover on a daily basis or a regular basis. So I see a lot of names moving around the queue uh, before the deadline. But I don't know exactly who are the impact players in some of these trades. So that's why I'm calling on you. Uh, was this your... A uh, as you, know, you kind of go back pre-COVID and what it was like back then, or is there, uh, you know, are we back to normal when it comes to trades in the queue, or how did you kind of uh, gauge what happened this year? I would say so in terms of being back to normal in terms of crazy trading. I didn't actually do the number crunching for the whole trade period, but it was interesting. I interviewed multiple general managers leading into the trade window, and there was a lot of feeling that it could be a more cautious trade period, and then the period opened up and things just got blown right out of the water because the first day there was actually more trades than there was the first day of the 2019-2020, which you kind of have to go back to to compare because that was when, you know, nobody knew what was coming up with COVID and whatnot. So definitely things uh, opening up and, you know, you have kind of five teams I think people are looking at as being true contenders and they all made at least one substantial move. And, and there was a couple of other teams uh, like Bacomo and Cape Breton who were not really uh, buying or selling, but were kind of shuffling too that were active. So there was definitely a lot of activity around the league, no doubt about it. Well, and was there one or two trades in, in particular that stood out to you as maybe eyebrow raising? Oh, well, not necessarily eyebrow-raising. I know I was talking about Bay Camo. They're a young team, and they traded away Nathan Barre, who's a 17-year-old, but I guess there was potential he had asked out, and they ended up getting picks in return. Obviously, the bigger trades would have been somewhat unex- would have been somewhat expected that buying teams were going to buy. For example, the big one that came down early was Justin Robidaux going to Quebec, but that had been reported for a long time. I mean, another interesting story uh, were trades that didn't happen. The quality of 20-year-olds in the league was high this year, so there were a lot of good 20s that didn't get moved. Kale McCallum was one of the league leading scorers among defensemen in Valdor. He didn't get traded, and then he decided to leave the queue. So there was some curious things going around there, but the bigger story was the expected one of the strong teams buying, you know, and you knew Quebec was going to buy, and then, you know, Gatineau making big moves as well as Sherbrooke and Victoriaville there also, So and Halifax. So the, the five teams that you kind of thought would make big moves did, and that's uh, watching to see who gets to be the strongest going forward will be what we're watching in the second half. Since you brought it up, there's a 20-year-old that uh, kind of shook loose out of the queue and has actually landed here in Edmonton. He was playing in Victoriaville with the Tigre. What can you tell me about Loic Daigle? 
Well, I saw that they had uh, released him. That was a kind of an interesting story. I think what happened there was the Teague had an injury to Thomas Bellegarde up front, who had a bit of a viral moment actually last year when he was uh, chugging a beer coming off the ice in a triple OT game. He was 19 years old, folks, so it's fine. Yeah. But they thought that he might have been hurt for a while, so they went and traded for uh, William Vayette, another goal scorer, or another point getter, I should say. And I thought that he might have been the replacement, but I guess they are confident both of those guys are going to be good going forward because they only have three 20-year-olds on the roster. I'll be honest, the, the Dega news is news to me. Uh, this is the first I'm hearing of that, but I'm not surprised because he was a quality player on the back end on a strong team. I haven't seen a ton of him, but obviously comes through a Victoriaville program that uh, kind of overachieved this year. Of the, all the teams that are contending, they would be kind of the surprise, and he would have been a guy that'd be part of that as just you know a steady, steady player that doesn't stand there as a star, but you could say that about a lot of the guys on their team. So I think they're you know you're getting a steadying veteran presence uh, on, on your team when you add him. Plus, you know you look at a guy he, you know he he was a center. Sorry, I said defensive center, man. I meant to say he was a guy who was on their championship team mm-hmm. back in 2021. They didn't play a lot during the playoffs. I'm not sure, but you know he's he's going to be a guy who's pretty dependable on both ends. And I'm kind of interested to see how he adjusts in the WHO. We've kind of seen that a lot uh, the last couple of years. I know uh, Bailey Peach and Alex Drover were out there. All the Drovers come back out east, so it'll be interesting to see how he does. But yeah, just kind of a didn't get a big read on him, but kind of a dependable you know two way guy. And like I said, he's had experience playing on good teams, so that should help as well. Well, he did, he's not going to be necessarily. He's coming to a last place team here this year. I mean, they're defending champs, but they, <laughs> they're in last place uh, this season. So. Uh, the other end of the spectrum, but uh, yeah, you mentioned Drover. He came out, played a little bit with Medicine Hat, and is back out in the queue now. But Bailey Peach last year was unbelievable uh, for the uh, uh, Victoria Royals. Um, so maybe, hey, something in between would be good for Edmonton. All right, let's get back to the trades uh, in the queue. Uh, and I, I, out here, what I kind of noticed was that there, there were there were more uh, sellers than buyer. Actually, maybe that's not even right. I, I think there weren't a lot of teams who were willing to part with some of their, their stuff. There were probably four or five, maybe six teams who were buyers, but it seems like getting into the playoffs and maybe getting into the second round, even if you're not a contender, just to recoup some of the money that was lost uh, from the COVID years seems to be pretty uh, important right now for franchises. Did, did you think, did you see any of that in the queue this year? I think it was more certain teams that were just assessing where they were. For example, Cape Breton, we're towards the bottom of the league, so you think that might be a seller. And Jeremy Langlois was one of the big assets Quebec picked up, a 19-year-old defenseman who's drafted by Arizona. But there was also a lot of trading for 18- and 19-year-olds to try to get better in the now. So I think that is part of it. I think, too, and I'm not sure if this is comparable in the WHL, sometimes you'll get teams that just have a surplus of draft picks. So even if you're not a team that is – prime to go for per se if you have that surplus to picks and say you know a guy that you're going to pick in the second round might not have a chance to flourish you know maybe you do want to trade for a veteran player just to make sure you know you're competitive you saw some teams like Moncton for example would be an example of that I think they might be the best case example of what you were talking about there although they did trade an 18 year old defenseman that Francesco Iacenza to Victoriaville they also went out and they acquired Connor Trenholm who's a 19 year old forward 19 year old defenseman Oscar Plondowski and that could be a situation where they're seeing, okay, we're in the top half of the conference. Let's, you know, try to bolster our roster a little bit to make sure we get that first-round playoff win and then give ourselves more of a chance to win in the second round as well. But for the most part, it was traditional buying and selling. We do always get the odd trade that doesn't necessarily fit into that box. Has the ownership situation in Bathurst uh, settled down, or it, did that come into play at all this year? Because I saw Riley Kidney was moved to Gatineau, and uh, I don't know if that was expected or not. I don't know if that has anything to do with the ownership situation there. Um, but what's the latest on that? Yeah, it's been pretty quiet. There was reports coming out of Quebec that the T-Town were on the way out, but it's been 
very quiet the last little while. Haven't heard as much of that. In terms of Kidney moving out, that's just Bathurst was a team that went for it last year, and they're parting ways with Stars. Uh, didn't part his way part ways with as many players as they could have. You know, ben Allison's a pretty strong 20-year-old. He stayed in Bathurst, but they kind of had the two-headed monster this year, Riley Kidney and in Jacob Melanson, and they both ended up getting traded. Melanson goes to Sherbrooke. That was a big ad for them. Sherbrooke was one of probably the biggest buyers. They added to Melanson. They added Jacob Rabinich, who you would have seen with Czechia at the World Juniors, and Marc-Andre Gaudet, and also adding Olivier Adamanet, so they really loaded up. But Bathurst selling would be just you know, a byproduct of where they are in the standings and the fact that they went for it last year's. There was a lot of strong teams in the Maritimes. Obviously, St. John hosted the Memorial Cup, so they were parting ways with assets. Cam McDonald goes to Gatineau as a notable example. And uh, St. John, as I said, St. John hosted the Memorial Cup. Charlottetown parting ways with Bradbridge. Those teams were all good last year, so natural cycle there. But in terms of ownership, it's been quiet, and that's probably no news is good news. I know the league has been very vocal about wanting to keep Bathurst in Bathurst. Certainly other teams in the Maritimes would love that for them to stay from a travel point of view. So no news on that front, but that's a situation that could ignite at any second. That's what we've been taught based in the last 10 or so years of the T-10 and the Q. All right, based on the standings, uh, in the Eastern Conference in the queue, Quebec is the number one club with 62 points. Halifax is, is next with 55, and then there's a, a pretty significant drop to the next couple of teams in Ramouski and Moncton, and then it drops even further down to the group that uh, you were mentioning Cape Breton is a part of. Uh, on the other side, it's it's the, a pretty tight race at the, at the top. Four teams who are really slugging it out, Victoriaville, Ruin, Miranda, Sherbrooke, and Gatineau. And then a really significant drop to the rest of the of the group. So you got four teams in the west and two teams in the east that seem to be the class of the of the queue. At least that's my read from the outside looking in. Do you see it differently? Yeah, that's fairly accurate. Ruin Miranda is kind of the outlier there. I, if you look at the teams in the in the league that are doing well in the west, it was always expected that Sherbrooke and Gatineau were going to be very strong this year right from the start. And then in the East, it was going to be Quebec and Halifax. Run Miranda and Victoriaville, well, Victoriaville kind of snuck in at the beginning of the year as a team that only won the President's Cup two years ago. And wow, they really established themselves that these guys are pretty good. Run Miranda really rocketed up the standings just prior to the trade window. You know, look at the standings now. They've won eight of their last 10. And yeah. those two losses not even coming in regulation. So they've kind of pushed their way up. So they're maybe the sleeper team in all this. They traded for F.J. Buto, 18-year-old defenseman from Cape Breton, who went to Buffalo Sabres camp. So not a major star move but certainly an improvement and they didn't sell so they could uh, they could certainly make some noise but Victoriaville made the Ascenza trade and they also traded for Frederick Brunet a 19 year old but he was drafted after his 18 year old season we could could be back at 20 uh, so Victoriaville and Rouen would be a bit of surprises there I don't really know if Rouen is just on a hot streak or if they really are at that level I think they definitely are above the rest of the Western Conference but based on preseason expectation and moves that were made Sherbrooke and Gatineau are definitely the heavyweights. I mentioned Sherbrooke went out and made all those trades. Gatineau traded for Riley Kidney. They traded for Cam McDonald. They traded for Frankie LaPena, probably the best goalie in the league. And Olivier Nadeau is a draft pick of Buffalo, was hurt the first half of the year, and he's back now. Over in the East, Quebec was the favorite to the beginning of the year. They haven't done anything to disprove that. Maybe didn't make as many moves as the other teams, Robidon, Lenoir. Halifax, supposed to be strong next year, but strong this year. And then obviously you probably know Jordan Dumais leads the league in scoring. They went up traded for the second leading scorer in the league and Alex Doucette. Uh, so they've definitely uh, separated them from the rest of the pack. So I would say those six teams are clearly above the rest, but maybe uh, maybe some doubt on Run Naranda and a lesser extent Victoriaville. But those would be definitely the teams above, and it's going to be fun to watch them slug it out uh, come the playoff time in the second half of the season. I know in Halifax they up. They're at 37 games played as we're speaking right now. I think half of those games 
they did it without Zachary LaRue. Now, I, I know he's back but got suspended. I think that was in a game against the uh, Cape Breton Eagles, wasn't it? What happened there? Yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, our, we have a defenseman, Connor Shortle, who's a you know, typical uh, defensive defenseman, plays a rugged style, tries to clear the net, and it was 1-1 in the second period. And earlier in the game, Shortle had actually gotten a two-minute minor for a check to the head on Antilio Biasca, as I'm sure you know, captain the Swiss at the World Juniors. And Shortle was really getting involved in the rivalry, but unfortunately, LaRue kind of burned him coming up the wing, and Halifax took a 2-1 lead. And it was, I think, two sequences later, off the draw, LaRue and Shortle, you know, have a pretty spirited fight. And LaRue did get in a few shots, but it was definitely Connor Shortle's fight. He roughed him up pretty badly. And I was commentating the game, obviously, and I was writing down in the notes. And for those that don't follow the queue, in the queue, you actually get 15 minutes in penalties for fighting, not five. Yeah. So I was trying to note as to when the players are going to be available. Fight happens at the end of the period. Second period starts, I look across, and I see that neither guy is in the in penalty box. I was, well, that's odd. And I look at the summary, and that I didn't hear the announcement. It turned out that they were both given game misconduct because it was considered a stage fight. So Shortle knew this and didn't come back out onto the ice. LaRue, I guess he just wasn't given the message or whatever. He came back out on the ice and they told him, no, you have the game misconduct. So he ended up throwing a stick across and the ice was, the stick was actually lying on the ice to start the period when play started. <laughs> so they both got the two games for a stage fight. And then LaRue got the extra game because of the unsportsmanlike conduct. And if you watch Zach LaRue, he's very much like a walk on the line player. He's, he, he plays very intense. As I said, sometimes he goes over that line, and kind of similar to Jacob Melanson that we were just talking about. So perhaps his history of suspensions as well added into him getting an extra game. But certainly a bit of a bizarre occurrence and maybe one of those things that could only happen in an eagles moosehead rivalry. Well, that's funny. All right. I, when you think of LaRue as an NHLer or at least as a pro player, that sort of mentality, what he, the way he plays the game, is that an asset or is that a detriment? Well, I think certainly being comfortable with the physical side of things would make it more likely that he could adjust to a bottom six role, so to speak, if it comes to that. But you know, if you've got a guy in the first pick, a guy in the first round, obviously have higher aspirations. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say. He's going to have to reel it in a little bit. There's, you know, he can't be like that at the pro level. You're obviously not helping your team if you're suspended for sure. But I think having some of that sandpaper is probably is probably a good thing. I know. There was speculation he might fall out of the first round because of all that, but then Nashville ended up picking him. So he's going to be one of the more uh, interesting players to watch. He's definitely one of those guys that when he's on the ice, you, you take note of him because you're not sure what's going to happen. But, you know, when his head is on straight, so to speak, he's certainly a big asset for Halifax and part of the a very loaded top six the Mooseheads have there with uh, players that are all over a point a game. So he's uh, definitely one to watch for sure. Uh, occasionally, uh, you might be kicking yourself if he finds himself in trouble, but, uh, you know, a, a tremendous hockey player, no doubt about it. A bigger version of Brad Marchant, a little bit, at least maybe cut from the similar cloth? Uh, there would there would be there would be some comparables there. I feel like Marchant probably uh, a little bit better at uh, channeling the agitator role, so to speak, than, than LaRue. He, he might probably a little bit better than uh, using it to his advantage more uh, more comparable in terms of attitude, I would say, than, than in terms of uh, overall gameplay. But yeah, that's, there's definitely definitely some weight to that for sure. Uh, Patrick McNeil is the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, the, the rest of the way for the queue, what sort of stories are you watching for? Or what are your expectations? The way things kind of play out. Well, it's going to be interesting just to see how the race shakes out because, like I said, I think Quebec was really zeroing in on Robida and Robida was kind of considered the best overall two-way player for them to fit their run. 
So I think anytime you see, you see this sometimes in the queue where you'll have the big dog that's out in front and they'll make a few moves, but the teams right behind them are going to make more moves. So it's curious to see, like, Sherbrooke is one I'm really curious. I'm sure, sure they've improved their goaltending by bringing in Olivier Adam, but, you know, have they done it enough? So those are the stories at the top. You know, there's races for positioning everywhere. Uh, Blaineville was an interesting story at the beginning of the year because they were supposed to be really strong, and they ended up uh, bottoming out and selling a number of players. So it would be interesting to see. They could potentially miss the playoffs. That would be very surprising. You know, at the bottom of the East, you've got race for positioning locally. And I was talking to you about this before we hit record. If you look at the East, it's a conference-based playoff. So you have Halifax and Quebec are one and two. So then you're – looking at that race to get up to sixth to avoid those guys in the first round to see if you can get a better play, a better playoff matchup. So locally, that'll be a race that I'm watching to see if the Eagles uh, can climb up the standings. And that'll be something to see because, you know, as you said before, you know, with everything that's gone on the pandemic, you know, getting into the second round of the playoffs is a nice uh, boost financially and obviously helps your players development and whatnot. They get playoff experience and travel wise. It'd be nice for you not to have to go to Quebec too. Yeah, no doubt about that. And that was part of the reason they changed the format. It used to be a league-wide playoff, and now they changed it so you can only play within your own conference, with the exception of the Eastern Conference is 10 teams and the West is 8. So the Eagles being at the eastern edge of the league could still potentially get bit by that if we finish at ninth in the East but have more points than 8th in the West and find ourselves uh, you know, traveling to Gatineau or Rundaranda or Sherbrooke or Victoriaville for the first round of the playoffs. But that's that's an outlier example. But by and large, they've uh, kind of reduced the, the extreme travel. And I know uh, we've talked in the past about other things. Uh, the, the sharing flights in the playoffs is, is another thing that's done to uh, kind of mitigate costs. So they're, they're doing the best they can to balance all that with, uh, with competitive integrity in the league. Patrick, as always, man, this has been fun to catch up and uh, should be an exciting finish in the queue to see how everything shakes out. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Very much look forward to the second half. Should be fun. That was Patrick McNeil. He's the voice of the Cape Breton Eagles. No longer the Screaming Eagles, just the Cape Breton Eagles. And a bit of a rebuilding year for those Eagles, but it looks like there's going to be some uh, interesting playoff races as the season plays out in the queue. So uh, we'll look forward to that. And uh, thank Patrick for his time here on the Pipeline Show. Always does a great job. From the queue, we uh, move westward and we stop in the Ontario Hockey League. And our guest to go through what happened at the deadline in the OHL is Brad Cogemilio. He writes for Sioux Today, covering the Sioux Greyhounds. And uh, he's got some great takes on what we saw happen at the deadline in the Ontario Hockey League. So let's dive into that next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. For Strom, Strom looking back to break it, fires and scores! There's number 50 on the season for Alex Dabrinkit. They'll pick up that puck, it was wired. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. 
Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Make it better. Turn up the good. Turn down the suck. Okay, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We just went through the uh, trade deadline stuff that happened in the queue. We'll get to the WHL after this segment, but uh, we're going to focus on the Ontario Hockey League uh, in this one. And uh, that means I'm going to be joined again by Brad Cogimilio from Sue Today. Uh, Brad, welcome back to the program. How are things out out in Ontario for you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, man. It's always uh, it's always a pleasure to to jump on and, and, and talk some hockey with you. It's always uh, always a blast. Well, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, and there was there's looks on paper at least like there's lots to talk about. And I didn't know what the pecking order would sort of be, or you know, looking at the standings, it looks like Ottawa is the top team in the league, but there's you know half a dozen other quality teams. Uh, in the OHL this year, but maybe we'll start with that. Is is everybody chasing Ottawa? Are they ahead of the pack? Yeah, I would say they're. I would say they're the elite team uh, over here this year. I mean, it's you know they got off to an unbelievable start, um, and they've managed to they've managed to maintain that here. Um, you know, they were they were in a good position too during the World Juniors. That uh, you know they lost a couple of guys. Uh, Vince Rohr was uh, was was at the tournament, and then Jack Matier was. Um, you know, essentially a six, seven defenseman with Team Canada, but mm-hmm. um, you know they were they were in a good position through the uh, through the World Juniors, and you know they were they were great. I mean, they've been outstanding all year. There's you know a few teams kind of creeping up on them now in in the overall standings, but you know, like you said, it's at this point, I think, and, and I think for the rest of the year, it's kind of going to be you know Ottawa being chased by you know, like I said that. You know, probably I, I would say at least three other teams. You know, there's you know maybe maybe four depending, but um, you know there's three or four teams for sure that are kind of chasing Ottawa at this point for uh, top spot in the league. Well, so that uh, bodes the question: What did the 67s do? If they're already the top team, what did they do at the deadline? And it looks like they picked up a couple of notable players for sure: Logan Morrison, who we saw with Hamilton uh, at the Memorial Cup last year. And then Pavel Mintyakov out of Saginaw, which surprised me a little bit that the Spirit appear to have pulled the shoot on the season. What did you make of that deal? Yeah, that was uh, you know, like you said, that's a, that's an interesting one because you know, the, like you said, Saginaw's in a in a position where you know they're they're third in the Western Conference at this point and and essentially tied for top spot in the West Division, which you know kind of puts them in a tie for for second in the in the in the conference as well. And um, you know, this is a team that. Um, you know, Saginaw, that is, that's more building for next year, just in the sense that um, they are one of four teams bidding to to host the Memorial Cup next year. And they're looking as though they're going to have a pretty solid returning group next year. And with Minchikov being, uh, being an, an old three birth here, um, you know, he's a guy that wasn't going to be, you know, wasn't expected to be back next year. And with the year he's having uh, offensively, he's, you know, in a great position to to essentially turn pro next year. So I think they they looked at that situation and were comfortable enough with their with their group as is going forward that they could pull off a, a deal like this. And you know, like you said, a, a very significant deal with 
you know, uh, a ton of draft picks going going the other way and high draft picks as well. I mean, we're not talking, you know, a few seconds and then a handful of, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth rounders. Everything's in, uh, you know, the second, third, and fourth round. So that's a, a very good haul for a team that's looking to build next year and they could, you know, turn those picks into, into something that would help them uh, help them on a run next year, whether they're hosting the Memorial Cup or if they – um, you know, would end up trying to get in as uh, as the OHL champs. Uh, Brad, on a side note, uh, you said that they're uh, one of four teams uh, vying for the Memorial Cup. For those who haven't heard, including me, uh, who are the other three? Yeah, so the uh, so Saginaw, obviously, and then uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs, which is uh, a very interesting situation in and of its own. Uh, the Kingston Frontenacs and actually the Sioux Greyhounds as well are um, the other three teams in addition to Saginaw that are uh, – looking at bidding and it's it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting thing i know um you know the the submissions are are to be in by i believe it's the end of january and um the decision will be made uh, i think it's by the end of march is the is the plan for uh having that decision made to see who's going to be uh, who's going to be hosting in ontario next year early front runner in your opinion i, I mean quality of team goes a long way these days niagara's at the bottom uh, and yeah. so it seems like right now, unless things change, they'd be a, a dark horse for sure. Although with Wayne Gretzky being attached to ownership, maybe that gives yeah. them some <laughs> extra cachet. But is there a front runner in your opinion? I, I, I would say, you know, even with the, with the deal they made at the deadline, I would say Saginaw is a bit of a front runner at this point, just because of uh, just mainly based on quality of uh, quality of the returning team. They're, uh, they're in a real good position going into next year. Um, you know they they've got uh, you know an exceptional player in Michael Misa who's granted exceptional status this year and is having a, an absolutely outstanding year um, for them and like you said they're they're returning roster they picked up Hunter Hate from Barry earlier in the year who's an NHL prospect and his uh, his offensive game was really slow to start but he's really taken off and, and saying you know he's an 04 birth year so they've they've done a lot to to get their roster in a good position for next year. I would say maybe the knock on Saginaw might be the, just the fact that their building's older. The the old Saginaw Gears used to play in, in that rink when they were when they had their pro team there. But um, you know, Saginaw overall is probably I would say the front runner at this point out of the four. Interesting. It's been a long time since the Memorial Cup was hosted uh, in the United States, so I'd, I'd actually be on board with that choice. Uh, that'd be interesting. All right, back to the trade deadline stuff. Uh, was there uh, another? I guess let's start with the Shane Wright one and go from there. But I mean, after the World Junior yeah. was over, everybody was kind of waiting to see what would happen, and uh, lots of teams, or at least three or four, seemed to be talked about as potential candidates. Uh, it uh, ends up being the Windsor Spitfires, and uh, a pretty significant trade there. Your take on that one? Yeah, and you know what? I, I think Windsor did. You know, considering the quality of player they're getting back in Shane Wright, I think they did really good in this deal. I mean, Ethan Medema is kind of the main player out of the, out of the two, uh, along with Gavin McCarthy's. Medema's probably the main player that um, you know should turn into a pretty good player for Kingston uh, throughout you know throughout the rest of his career. But you know, they they did real well in the sense that. Uh, you know, they give up a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a couple of fourths, and it's not, you know, when you look at that deal, say, compared to the Minchikov deal where, you know, it's all second, thirds, and fourths and, and relatively high picks, mm-hmm. you know, Windsor, Windsor makes out pretty good in that deal in terms of what they gave up. And 
you know, a, a great thing for them is none of the picks they give up are actually any of their own either. They're all picks that were acquired from other teams and other deals. So, you know, they're, they're in a great position. And I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's going to be a deal that I wouldn't be surprised if it works out well for both teams, just with, you know, with what Wright's going to bring for them and trying to make a run this year. And then what, with what Medina could bring, uh, you know, to Kingston through the rest of his career, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Windsor's got to come into the suit three times uh, still this year, so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what they're going to look like now. With you know, with him, they picked up uh, Jacob Holmes, who's an NHL drafted D from Sudbury, and uh, Brett Harrison from Oshawa, who's an NHL drafted forward and having a good year. So they loaded up pretty well this year. So that's going to be uh, that's definitely going to be another fun team to watch out of the Western Conference and uh, here in Ontario. Well, the cost to get uh, Shane Wright uh, from uh, Kingston for Windsor was seven draft picks and uh, and two players. There's also a 14th rounder going. That kind of made me chuckle a little bit. What was? Why is there a 14th rounder included in this deal uh, going with Shane Wright uh, from Kingston to Windsor? Is that was that the deal breaker? I need a 14th round pick. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I haven't actually seen what the uh, what the conditions. I do know with a conditional pick. I, I'm curious actually with the. Uh, Definitely curious what the conditions are going to be on uh, on that one, and uh, you know, be pretty interesting if, if that pick ends up in Windsor, and you know, whoever gets picked with that pick could say, "Hey, I got traded with Shane Wright instead of got traded for him." That's right. a story that I'm sure some young kid would be uh, be excited to tell to uh, to his family and his kids down the road for sure. So we know Windsor made a splash, uh, and uh, of course the the sixty sevens. Who were who was the next busiest team, or the next team that made the most significant impact? Yeah, I, I look at a team like Peterborough, um, you know, who was relatively busy in the in the days leading up to um, leading up to the the deadline. They pick up Owen Beck from Mississauga, who was uh, on the Canadian national junior team as a as a late ad after Colton Dock had gotten uh, gotten hurt and. You know they they picked up um, you know they they pick up Owen Beck and that's a that's a big big ad for them uh, you know real skilled good forward they picked up picked up Brendan Offman from uh, from Flint early in the year so they did actually kind of make a you know a, a bigger splash early on in the year which I think was probably big for them just in the sense that in that situation the price might be a little lower than it would have been had they make that deal um, closer to closer to the deadline um you know so them adding a, a you know a couple guys like that is huge sarnia adds even del mastro from uh, from mississauga who is obviously a world junior defenseman uh, as well and luca del bell who's a real solid i believe he's an old three forward uh from mississauga as well and it, did, it didn't cost, it cost them a couple of decent players and in, in, you know in a rookie in porter martel and in um, Angus McDonnell, who's, uh, who's another young forward and a couple of picks, but, uh, you know, a, a deal there that, that probably didn't cost them as much as I think some people would have expected. So that's going to be, that's going to be an interesting team to watch as well. Um, you know, the Western Conference was interesting overall, just in the sense that, um, you know, the Kitchener Rangers were, were real busy here over the last, uh, over the last little bit, just adding some uh, adding some pieces as well, and that Kitchener team's interesting because they're a team that's actually out of the Western Conference playoff race right now. They're actually three points out of the uh, the final playoff spot, though they do have some uh, some games in hand. But they picked up uh, a Dallas prospect in Francesco Arcuri, uh 
and it, it was a little earlier than the deadline. It was in uh, mid to late December, but you know that's a, that's a team that they picked up Danny Jokin from Guelph, who's a Winnipeg prospect in the days leading up to the deadline, and those are two big offensive pieces. But it's a team that's like I said, they've struggled this year, so. I'm curious to see how these deals are actually going to affect that club because this is a team that's really struggled this year. And, and I think they were expected to be better than they were, but they haven't been able to put it together. But it's one of those things that, hey, once you get into the playoffs, if you get these guys rolling at the right time, they could be a tough team to, uh, tough team to play against in the playoffs. So there's definitely a few teams that were on the busier side in the days leading up to the deadline. And, and, and like I said, adding some, you know, pretty significant pieces. I, I was a little bit surprised about Kitchener as well, adding those guys, considering where they are in the standings. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, could, can Jilkin and R. Curry be back next year? And, and maybe this is, if that's the case, maybe this is trades you make this year to help your team next year. Right, and, and I believe R. Curry is, uh, is an 3 I'd have to I'd have to double-check on that. So potentially, and I'm not, admittedly, I'm not sure if he's signed by Dallas at this point, but you know that's a situation. If he's not signed, he's definitely in a uh, in a position where he would be back next year. And then uh, I believe Jokins in 03 as well. But you know, similar situation. I'm not 100 percent sure if he's signed by by Winnipeg at this point. But you know, those are two guys that could you know conceivably be uh, you know be back for for another year, depending on what their uh, what their contract status is with their with their pro teams. All right, uh, Brad Cogemilio from uh, Sioux Today is my guest. Uh, was there a team that you expected would be busier than they were? Yeah, I think you know what I think Barry a little bit just because they, um, you know, they made uh, a deal about a week ahead of the deadline. Actually, with the Sioux, where they picked up uh, picked up Tyler Savard, who's uh, the son of former NHLer and uh, current Windsor coach Mark Savard. Uh, you know, real physical player. He's you know he's got decent offensive. Uh, you know, he's got a decent offensive game. They added him for for four draft picks. It was, I believe, a second, a couple of thirds, and I think a fourth. Um, you know, so they them adding him, and that was, uh, I believe, that was a uh, exactly a week before the deadline. And I, I did expect them to maybe do a little more. When I see a deal like that, I kind of think, okay, this is a team that's going to look at. And then they get the news that Brent Clark's going to get sent back to uh, to the OHL by uh, by Los Angeles. So I, I'm thinking in that situation, okay, well. They add Savard a week before the deadline. They get Brant Clark back in the lineup from uh, from the NHL. This is a team that you know, and they're a team that's been having you know been having a decent year. They were a little slow out of the gate, but have played uh, have played some good hockey here over the last uh, over the last bit. And I was expecting them to add some more. I know they were there were talks about them adding Shane Wright, and I think they were you know one of those three or four teams that were in the mix for for Shane Wright, but. Even in that position, I would have expected them to, you know, potentially even have a backup plan if the Shane Wright deal doesn't go through. But, you know, other than other than adding Savard and getting Brand Clark back, they didn't really do anything ahead of the deadline. And, you know, it's a good roster, but I, I, I wouldn't say it's a roster that I would put up against, you know, definitely not a roster I would put up against an Ottawa or, um, you know, right now North Bay second in the Eastern Conference and actually um, leading the division uh, that Barry's in. And, I, I don't know that I would say Barry's better than um, Ottawa and North Bay at this point, just with the way the current rosters are. But um, yeah, I mean, Barry's probably the one team that I expected more out of at the deadline that uh, 
like I said, didn't really uh, didn't really do anything, uh, you know, in the days leading up to it. I, I know they did add uh, Braden Hache, who uh, comes over from yeah. Kingston, right? I'm not sure how big of an impact he's yeah. going to make. But they gave up five draft picks to get him, so I thought there must be something there. Yeah, and and you know that's adding uh, you know another NHL uh, drafted blue liner to that group, and um, you know when I when I look at that blue line, I mean it's you know it's solid, it's um, you know between Clark and, and Hashi's, uh you know been a steady defenseman in uh, in Kingston prior to the deal. He's a Florida prospect, and then they've got uh, Archer Cholach, who's a who's a Vegas pick. He's an O three birth year. He's, you know, another solid defenseman. And I mean, this is a roster, like I said, it's, it's no accident that this team's, you know, one of the leaders in, in the East in, in that sense. Like they're, you know, I believe they're eight, eight or nine points behind North Bay for top spot in the division. But, uh, you know, like I said, a team that's played real well of late. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm just curious in terms of how it's going to, you know, how it's going to fit in. And, it, you know, I look at some of the other teams, whether it's, you know, Ottawa making the big splash with Morrison and, and Minchikov or, you know, London, uh, you know, London looking and adding, you know, some guys from Hamilton and Ryan Winterton and Ryan Humphrey who have, you know, championship experience with Hamilton last year. And, um, you know, Braden Hashi is, uh, you know, going to be a good fit there, but I don't know that it's, you know, at this point, I, I don't know necessarily that it was enough to put them kind of over um, the other two in the conference just yet, but right. Um, yeah, that's that's the fun of things. That's why they play the games, right? Is you never know what uh, what surprises could come around the corner, especially in in uh, major junior. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Brad, but uh, when it comes to playoffs, it's still one versus eight in the conference. Yeah, they uh, thankfully they've uh, they've stuck with that and haven't gone to uh, yeah. haven't gone to any sort of divisional stuff. It definitely makes it more fun that way. The upsets are uh, you know when they do happen are a lot more fun to. To see then uh, you know they maybe having a you know a couple teams that are relatively close in, in the standings beating uh, beating each other in the playoffs for sure. So I guess if the in the weeks leading up to the deadline we thought Ottawa was the top team and and there were a handful of others that were maybe at least going to give them a, a bit of a fight. Now that the dust has settled post trade deadline, has anything changed? Is it still Ottawa and then four or five teams? I would say yes at this point. Um, you know I, I would look at it kind of as. You know, you say Ottawa is the front runner. Um, you know, there's probably a group behind them that I would say includes at this point would, you know, would include London, who's been extremely good since the beginning of November. Um, you know, Windsor, who's been really good. Um, and I would say probably, I would probably include North Bay um, and Windsor. Um, North Bay, Windsor, and London would probably be the next three with. Peterborough maybe being slightly Peterborough Sagan maybe being slightly lower than uh, than that group and Barry in that group as well. Okay. Um, you know, there's probably three groups of three groups of teams I would say that are kind of front runners is you know what you could call championship contenders, but Ottawa is definitely the front runner out of the uh, out of the whole group I would say at this point. Awesome. Well, listen, Brad. Uh, well, I should ask you about the the Sioux Greyhounds. Uh, that's the team that you're closest to. The team that you are based right near. Uh, what's their situation yeah. like this year? I mean, this was the season they pretty much expected would be a development year, no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're you know they're they're a team that um, you know as much as general as much as management doesn't necessarily 
use the term rebuild. This is 100% a rebuild year for them. Um, you know, after what they had last year in terms of losing a bunch of guys to, uh, to pro, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone expected them to be, um, you know, anything uh, significantly higher than what they are. Right. Um, you know, they, this is a team that's been, um, you know, they've been battling. They've been in the playoff race the entire time. They're, um, you know, unbelievably this is a team that's lost seven overtime games and four shootout games this year. Um, there was a stretch, there was a stretch where they, it seemed like every second game they were going into overtime or going into a shootout and against good teams. Um, you know, they lost, uh, they lost a game, a couple games to London and, you know, they were one goal games. They lost to Ottawa and, uh, I think it was an 18, 17 or 18 round shootout here in the Sioux. So they've played some real good teams, real tough this year. Their compete level is really good. So it, it bodes well. I think it bodes well for the future on that side of things for them. Um, it's just going to be a matter of what the development side of things, um, you know, from the offensive and defensive side of the game is going to be like next year. But like I said, I mean, they're, they're probably in a position where I think, most of us expected them to be in at this point in terms of uh, battling for a playoff spot. Brad, I really appreciate your time. Great rundown and recap of uh, trade deadline activity in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, thanks for doing this. Maybe we'll chat uh, as playoffs get closer or once they get going. Absolutely. I uh, always enjoy it and look forward to uh, jumping on anytime you need me. Brad Cogemilio from uh, the Sioux Today. His thoughts on uh, the Ontario Hockey League post-trade deadline. Still looks like it's the Ottawa 67s, the uh, the team to beat there. Funny because I think there's more parity in the queue than there is in uh, the uh, Ontario Hockey League or the WHL, really. I, mean, I guess the Dubs got probably five teams, maybe six, that could be legit contenders this year. But one that everybody thinks is the team. And I think that's the case in the OHL where the Ottawa 67s appear right now, at least, to be the cream of the crop. Let's see what happens now with Shane Wright and his arrival in Windsor. You know, they're in a pretty good dogfight right now with the London Knights for top spot in their conference, but can they solidify that position and look like they're going to challenge the Ottawa 67s? Hey, you know what? Only time can tell. That's why they play the games. The Q is done. The O is done. Let's get to the dub. And uh, to lead us off, it's going to be Josh Kreitzer, who writes for PNW Hockey Talk, and he is my guest next, joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. No sleep till... Bend off the wall, falling there was Longo as uh, he couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front, Matt Sogard making a nice read there, especially on those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. 
Hey, it's the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we are going across the country looking at all the trade deadline deals in uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the OHL. We've done those, and now we're going to spend the last two segments of this week's episode in the WHL, and uh, we're going to do it in kind of reverse order since we've been going east to west. We're actually going to go west to east this time as uh, we're joined now by Josh Kreitzer from PNW Hockey Talk. Uh, Josh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, always uh, appreciative of the opportunity to come and uh, talk some uh, prospects with you. Well, you know, I had to track you down because uh, some of the biggest trades we saw in the WHL at the deadline this year involved American-based teams, the U.S. division. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the standings, it makes sense. Uh, the top two teams in the West are both in the U.S. division with Seattle and Portland. And then, you know, the Kamloops Blazers were going to be busy because... They're hosting the Memorial Cup, and their big trade partner, another American team, the Everett Silvertips, and a massive deal between those two clubs. What's your takeaway from the deadline this year? Anything really surprise you? Yeah, you know, I yes and no, I guess. Um, you know, I think the Ozzy Weisblatt trade from that Portland made was probably the biggest surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, that was a name that I don't think a lot of people were hearing. Uh, kind of in some of the in some of the rumor mills, uh, you know, Seattle continuing, you know, maybe right at the end there, you know, adding in uh, Gunther's rights is, I think, was, you know, I had heard that he was being chopped, so it, it wasn't necessarily, I guess, a surprise that that he went, but that that Seattle felt that they, you know, after you know acquiring all the players that they have and having a large portion of of you know this year's world juniors you know both from from canada but now also getting you know brad lambert sent back mm-hmm. uh there's just been a lot of movement um you know i think you know i think everett did really well to speed up their uh, rebuild everett is a team that at least historically recently has not kind of been one to kind of give up their assets and mm-hmm. but you know i think when when you're dennis williams and and you get the offer that he did for for zellweger and, and Hofer, that's a deal that you, you just can't turn that down. And I know there were a lot of teams that were sniffing around Hofer, and I think he's a sneaky part of that trade and probably an underappreciated aspect of that trade um, and probably why you saw some of the, the draft capital be as high as it was just because I know there were several teams that were in on Hofer. Uh, and, and so for the fact that Kamloops was able to bring him in was, was just another big piece of that trade. Uh, so, you know, I think as, you know, you kind of look around, you know, those trades don't sleep on the Hofer acquisition to Kamloops because he, he's the type of player who plays in all three phases of the game. He's a, a tremendous net front presence. You know, I haven't seen as much of the East, but he's by far, you know, the best net front guy out West, uh, especially with some of Seattle's bigger bodies that they have back there along the blue line and Nolan Allen and, and Luke Prokop there, you know, Hofer is a player who can who can really kind of make you know um, you know make some damage for you uh, in the playoffs, and uh, you know don't sleep on that. But also you know p- pairing Zellweger and Stankoven on the same power play, I'll tell you, I would not want to be uh, you know a, a coach who has to scheme against that power play unit. That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought up the the, the fact that Ryan Hofer probably overlooked in this deal for a lot of people, especially just casual hockey fans. You know, looking at the WHL from the outside looking in just because of how many assets were involved in that trade. And, you know, Zellweger's the household name across the country, especially after the World Junior. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. Hofer is the reason why there were, well, I mean, what was it, four first-round picks involved in that deal? And, yeah. you know, you look last yeah. year, and the Oil Kings gave up a lot to, to get Caden Gooley, who I would argue was probably the best defenseman in the league last year. Uh, and 
Yep. When you compare it to Zellweger, with the assets involved in this trade, it looks uh, unbalanced. But then you, you factor in Ryan Hofer and what he means uh, in this deal, and it makes a lot more sense. But still, I, I do think the prices were higher this year than they were last year. And would you agree with that, first off? And if so, to what would you attribute that? Yeah, I 100% would agree to that. I actually had a chance to talk with Portland's general manager, Mike Johnson, last night, kind of for his, for his perspective. And, you know, he brought up a really good point, And it also kind of kind of echoes with me, too, of kind of maybe why you're seeing some of the prices is, is the new rule that the WHL put in place of, you know, the restrictions on trading 16-year-old players and kind of the gray area that I think that's out there surrounding 17-year-olds and uh, kind of that ability to, you know, trade some of those younger players. And so what that's going to do is that's going to force these teams to want to get back some quality assets. And without getting that known commodity of seeing a 16-year-old play or a 17-year-old play, you may have to ask for some additional picks because you don't know if you'll be able to, you know, hit on one of those picks or, or what that might look like. So I think that was probably one of the bigger factors as we've seen is that as that rule kind of comes into play and kind of more so now that we've kind of gotten out of the, the COVID seasons. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think also when, when you look at some of these, you know, teams, it, at least in the Western League, there's kind of historically been maybe one or two teams that are kind of going for it. But there's three teams now that, you know, in Seattle, Kamloops and, and Winnipeg who, you know, are, have really demonstrated that they're all in. And when you have a situation like that, that's going to drive up the prices, especially when you look at the, the number of kind of these quality players that are sitting out there. And, you know, Seattle kind of set the market earlier in the year with, with the Nolan Allen trade, uh, a little bit with the, with the Luke Prokop situation. So, you know, you kind of look at some of that, but, you know, if, if you're Kamloops, you, you got to go for this. You have to kind of make that type of deal. And, you know, at least I'm a somewhat biased out here that thinking Zellweger is probably the best defenseman in the, in the Western League. Uh, he's, you know, I, I have <laughs> good authority. He plays between 30 and 32 minutes a night mm-hmm. uh, for Everett. And, you know, he's going to be able to, I think, solve a lot of Kamloops' problems of, you know, they seem to have really struggled with zone exits recently and and that's a that's the type of player that you are willing to pay some of those prices for if it means you're not going to be hemmed in your own zone quite as much and you'll be able to take advantage on the power play so yeah the prices are higher but at the the same time it's you you look at what's available you look at the number of teams and you know it's it's a supply and demand situation and we saw that come come out uh, to play over the last you know, several days and, you know, especially the last 48 hours. See a lot of teams uh, in the Western Conference, the the three teams at the top, and then you've got Vancouver, Everett, Tri-City, Prince George, Kelowna as the uh, four through eight clubs. Victoria is not quite out of the picture just yet. Spokane's probably not a factor in the playoff race uh, going down the stretch, but a number of teams who were vying still for home ice advantage in the first round, and I wondered... I wondered if that was going to mean we'd see less trades. I didn't know if Vancouver would be willing to give up a stop check or if Everett would be willing to give up Zellweger. But then they get the offers that they did, and I wonder if that maybe is why the prices were as high as they were as well, too. Yeah, that that can certainly play play into it. You know, I think, you know, like you mentioned, the top three are really kind of locked in um, in terms of kind of the, their positioning. Then it's kind of that, that battle for what that home ice is going to look like. And coming out of, you know, these COVID seasons and, and restrictions and, and attendance, home playoff games means a lot to these Western Hockey League clubs. Yep. And if, you know, even just kind of getting into that second round, if you can win that first playoff round and you can get two or three more home games, 
you know, you're netting, you know, depending upon your attendance, you know, that could be over a hundred thousand dollars for these clubs. Um, and so that, that can really start to, to make a difference. And it can also, you know, speed up, like you said, the, you know, kind of the, um, how fast these teams are able to, to rebuild. And when you get an offer thrown that your, your way and it, it's that high, you know, with Vancouver getting, you know, three first round picks for a stop chuck to, you kind of look at it and say, okay, are we really going to be able to compete with some of these top three? And, you know, can we try and get it to that, you know, fifth game or sixth game in, in the round and try and secure an extra playoff game? You know, I, I think you have to kind of weigh the, the, the pros and cons there. And I think that's in also in a way why you saw Victoria not move a couple of their pieces in Jake Poole and Gannon LaRock. Mm-hmm. Because you know, when you, if you're, if you're Victoria and you're looking at Cam at Kelowna, trying to sneak into that last 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 playoff spot a guy like you know jake Poole, who's got 40 points and gannon larock who's assigned san jose prospect those are two key pieces that might help you catch Kelowna as Kelowna, you know uh trades off doc to uh seattle so they might be looking at it here's a chance for us to you know maybe sneak into the playoffs get some experience for our younger players um you know and in the case of victoria and spokane they did a lot of trades throughout the year um, and kind of throughout their roster. And some of their players had kind of already moved out. I know Victoria made seven moves earlier in the year prior to the deadline leading up to it. Um, and, you know, Spokane was the same way with, with moving out, you know, Swetlikoff to Lethbridge and Bo Pitt and, and Graham Sward to Winnipeg. I mean, they got seven picks back, including, you know, four in the first three rounds. So it's not like some of these teams didn't make moves. It's just they might have made moves earlier on. Um, but you can't you can't discredit the fact that some of these teams are just looking at how do we kind of maximize our value while also still being able to, um, you know, maybe get, get a little bit of that, of that revenue come playoff time. Josh, do you think one of those teams in that four, five, six, the bottom half of the Western Conference with the moves that were made? Uh, obviously, Vancouver's not going for it. You don't trade a stop check if you're going for it. And same with Everett and Zellweger, uh, and same with Kelowna and Colton Dock. Did, did any of them lose too much? Are they at risk of, of missing the playoffs, any of those teams, do you think? The only one I would say is Kelowna. I think Kelowna's probably the only one that, that's really at, at risk. I, I don't think the others, you know, the West, only two teams don't make it. Spokane yeah. is, you know, so far, so far behind. Uh, right now and you know victoria's been been playing a, a lot better um i think you know they they've won you know five of their last 10 somewhere in there but you know i think the last i looked they were five points behind Kelowna, and Kelowna i think had two games in hand don't quote me on that and depending upon when people are listening that might change but it's i don't think some of those other teams were, were going to fall fall out victoria was like 13 points behind you know, Prince George, I don't, I don't see anything like that. Prince George did kind of some interesting moves that, you know, they had the swap um, of 17 year olds, um, you know, with, with Red Deer, uh, they got a couple of picks back for, um, for Singer. And, and that, that one was kind of like kind of an eye opener, but, you know, right at the end of the, of the deadline, they brought in Zach Funk. I think he's going to add a lot to that top of the lineup to play with Riley Height. And, and Zimmer, you know, two really star players for, for Prince George. Prince George is coming off of, you know, they you know they only had, you know, they got swept by Portland last year in the playoffs, but they got that experience for that young group. They've got a couple of, you know, NHL drafted goaltenders. I don't see them, you know, falling out. Tri-City has been probably the, 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 the cool story in the Western Conference, just how Bob Torrey and Sue Barnes has been able to craft that roster and get the most out of that group. 
uh, Lucas Dragosevich is, is a special player to watch, and his stock is just absolutely climbing for the NHL draft. And I think he's going to be quickly become a household name. And they, you know, they made just a couple of minor moves and added some depth along their blue line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tri-City has played, you know, some of the top teams out West pretty well. You know, they've beaten Seattle, they've beaten Portland. Um, So, you know, I I think they're, I think, you know, Tri-City is, is got kind of what it takes to be a good playoff team with size, good goaltending, you know, Sukunek, who, who everyone saw, especially Canadians and saw what he was able to do at the world juniors. And, um, I think people gained a lot of respect for what he was able to kind of demonstrate what what he's uh, got. And, and you know, so I, I think there's some of these teams that they've got a lot to, to like and kind of build that experience as, as they move forward when, you know, the, a couple of these top teams are, are going to fall off. You know, presumably you, you've seen that with Edmonton, you've seen that with Swift Current and, you know, some of these other teams that have really kind of gone for it over the years, when, when you give up that many picks, it's, it's such a challenge to uh, kind of rebuild and, you, and you'll have to start trading away what, what's left coming back next year to try and recoup some of those picks. It's interesting to, to see how things will shake out over the next few weeks even because there's a lot of players that some of the top teams have uh, added to their roster or guys who are just coming back from injury that haven't been with the teams basically all year. Jalen Lipen's one in in Tri-City. He's got a handful of games yep. under his belt now. Kamloops is about to get Jakob Demek back, I think, uh, who Correct. hasn't played for them yet at all, but we saw what he could do here in Edmonton. Portland gets Chaz Lucius, uh, and uh, Seattle, as you mentioned, gets Brad Lambert, and potentially could still get Dylan Gunther. I mean, there's still a lot that could happen here after the deadline. There is, and you know, Portland getting Lucius, I think, is you know, that that was a player when you see all these picks that are flying around, Portland gets Lucius back and doesn't it doesn't cost him a thing. They yeah. drafted Lucius in the fourth round of the Bantam draft in two thousand eighteen. And so getting a player like that, Portland was able to to add that top flight player who, you know, helped USA win bronze at the World Juniors and you know, he's performed really well at every level, whether it be the NCAA or the national team development program. And so that's that's a player who instantly goes to the top of the Winterhawks lineup. Uh, they're going to know quickly about Ozzy Weisblatt. If he plays one more AHL game, that deal won't, won't come to be. Um, and, and he'll stay in the AHL, but that is kind of known. So, you know, there'll be some, some closure on that deal rather quickly on, on what that's going to look like, you know, for, for Portland, but you're absolutely right. You know, what, what takes place with, you know, um, with, with Gunther, Arizona has said multiple times that they're not sending him back, but, you know, if you, if you look at you know Seattle's roster now compared to you know where he maybe was before, that maybe that changes some things. I, I don't know, but you know one of the things that I heard with, with Gunther and was a very interesting part of that that deal was when Gunther's rights are being shopped around. It was if you even want to be involved in the trade, you have to give up a fourth rounder just to have the rights on top of all the conditional picks as well and. I know that was enough to scare Portland away. They didn't want those guarantees, um, you know, of, you know, giving up such a, a, not necessarily a high pick, but Portland's had some success with fourth round picks. You know, Lucius is a perfect example of that. Um, But, you know, you just have some of these, you know, game changing players that are coming back. You know, Brad Lambert, I think is going to make his, his season debut either tonight or on the Eastern swing. Um, you know, I'm real curious, like you mentioned with Demick and, and Kamloops, what, what that's going to do for their lineup. They've got a really strong top six, now probably top seven or eight. Um, you know, he'll add, he'll add a lot to their lineup. Gannon LaRock, I believe, has four points since, since he came back for Victoria. 
the, the West is just loaded with these these tremendously talented and, and name recognize name recognition players. At this point, can you can you say who the favorite is? I, I think most people yeah. who aren't as close to it as you would say Seattle, but uh, I think maybe people are overlooking Portland, and we haven't seen all the new pieces yet for Kamloops. Uh, so I mean, it, it really looks like a tight three horse race to me. But I, from my perspective, I would probably still suggest Seattle. Yeah, the way I see it, you know, even if Seattle doesn't get Gunther, I, I still see them as as the favorites out west, and I think it would take a lot to um, kind of unseat them. Their third line is probably better than half the league's top line. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, they're going to have some really talented players that are going to play on the third line. They've got a just a tremendous number of of you know quality forwards, including. You know, including some younger guys that you know have been playing top minutes for them. They've got three stud defensemen and Nolan Allen, Kevin Korchinski, and Luke Prokop. Uh, Jeremy Hansel is a sneaky, really good WHL player. He's having a, a great year for them and kind of kept them afloat. You've got Milich, who's a you know you know helped Canada win win gold at, at World Junior. Scott Ratzlaff was goaltender of the month. I mean, they're just they're just deep, no matter how you put it, but there's all that talent on paper. Can they get this team to gel? You know, I think, you know, when, when I looked, um, they've moved out over seven roster players throughout, throughout the year. And that's a lot of turnover. It's a lot to kind of build some chemistry and, mm-hmm. you know, with special players like that, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. I would put, I would put um, Seattle as, as the pretty heavy favorite still in, in the West. I think right now, the way things are, uh, Kamloops is, is number two. I think they've just, they they have the best player right now in the Western League outside of Connor Bedard and, and Logan Stankoven, uh, and I think he's just such a game breaker for for that uh, organization and and just that compete. And we've seen him take his game to such another level when he gets in the playoffs. He's just such a force, and and those players tend to rise to to the top. Um, you know, Portland I think can give Kamloops a, a run for their money if they get Wiseblatt back. It will be curious to see how Portland does with, with you know, get Lucius in, and that's going to change kind of their makeup. Portland has kind of been a team that just kind of rolls four lines and is kind of pretty consistent, and it, they're, they're hard to match up against because they don't necessarily have a first line. They've kind of got three and a half second lines in a way. So it's, it's proven hard for, for matchups. I know when I talked to Dennis Williams earlier in the year, he was saying, you just don't know who to put Zellweger on because one night it could be Gabe Clawson, the next night it could be James Stefan, the next night it's Robbie from Delorme. And you, you just don't know what you're going to do. But that's, you know, Portland just doesn't have some of the, you know, those NHL kind of names that, that these other teams do. I think Zellweger is going to just take Kamloops though to the, to the next level. He's, he's one of the main reasons why Everett was where they are in the standings. So I, I do think right now, if, if I had to guess, I think it's Seattle that's pretty heavily favored. If Wise Black comes back, I think, you know, Portland and Kamloops in the second round, you know, should the chalk hold be um, probably a, at least a six game playoff series, maybe seven. Um, but yeah, the, the way I see it right now, I think if, if you're a betting man, the, the, the odds on favorite is, is Seattle. Man, it's going to be exciting hockey though, down the stretch and into the playoffs for sure. He's uh, Josh Kreitzer from PNW Hockey Talk. Uh, what do you got coming out uh, at PNWHockeyTalk.com? Yeah, you know, I, I just recently put out a piece about, you know, Portland's culture and kind of their, their mentality. You look at how their roster is built, you know, if Weisblatt doesn't come, Portland will be, uh, the only team in the Western League that has every single one of its players that has only played for Portland in the Western League. 
uh, even with the acquisition of, you know, Lucius, you know, obviously he's played elsewhere, but uh, everyone in Portland's uh, players is homegrown, whether it be listed or, or um, drafted themselves. They have Diego Budazoni, who was a second round pick of medicine hat, but they acquired him before uh, he uh, ever played a game for the Tigers. So, uh, kind of a, a longer piece on that one. And we call it the Kreitzer special. It's like 3,800 words because as you can tell, I'm long winded, but uh, so th- that was a piece that I spent a significant amount of time that, that just recently dropped uh, um, on pnwhockeytalk.com. Uh, but uh, there'll be some, a couple other features that I've got it, got in the works and, uh, you know, start to kind of maybe fe- do a feature on some of the uh, other players, but uh that's kind of been, you know, the big work's kind of done right now. And uh, we'll look forward to, uh, you know, covering the team again once they get back from uh, their uh, Eastern swing. Fantastic stuff, Josh. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for doing this. Cool. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Josh Kreitzer with his thoughts on the WHL uh, trade deadline in the Western Conference and how the uh, pecking order has changed or has it changed. Uh, you let me know what your thoughts. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore gee it still looks like seattle is the team to beat but portland and uh, kamloops kamloops got a lot better uh they were already really good but they there was a bit of a, a separation there between they and and both portland and uh, seattle uh we'll see what sort of an impact Chaz lucius has with the winterhawks as well as brad labyrinth uh, getting to seattle now the deadline is like five days ago six days ago and those guys have not yet played for their new teams which is interesting because they're both in the East Division right now. Those two teams are on the road, and both of those guys were playing in uh, Manitoba in the American Hockey League. So it seems like it would be a pretty easy thing just to uh, hook up with their new teams. Uh, I'm not sure. There's probably a reasonable explanation why that hasn't happened just yet. I think they're both supposed to start playing uh, this weekend, so we'll find out. But there is a little part of me that's wondering, all right, Chaz Lucius left the NCAA to play professionally, and now he's being sent back to junior. I wonder if that's going to be a smooth and easy transition for him or if there's going to be, you know, and uh, same with Brad Lambert. We'll see. I hope that's not the case uh, because both of those guys are, uh, you know, they got pretty good, comfortable landing uh, where they're uh, ending up here in the WHL. All right, we got one more segment to go this week. We're looking at the WHL's Eastern Conference. And to join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, is Ian Gustafson. Writes for the Red Deer Advocate right there in Red Deer, same as Troubled Monk. We'll talk to him about the Eastern Conference of the WHL next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Landon for the Red Deer Rebels. Hi, I'm Connor Bleakley. This is Matt Dumba. Hey, it's Adam Musil. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Hey, this is Grayson Polinchuk. Hey, this is Brandon Sutter. It's Hayden Flurry. Hi, I'm Alex Petrovic. Hi, it's Brent Sutter of the Red Deer Rebels, head coach, general manager, and owner. You are listening to the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundays all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hello there. 
All right, uh, we are back on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. The program, of course, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three locations in and around the Edmonton area, but you can get it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada. Uh, go to wilhawkbeefjerky.com. It's W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. All right, busy uh, transaction show as we uh, have recapped everything that happened in the queue and in the OHL. And now let's get to the WHL as uh, I'm joined now by Ian Gustafson, who uh, covers the Red Deer Rebels for the Red Deer Advocate uh, and uh, keeps tabs on the rest of the WHL as well. Uh, Ian, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Um, thanks for having me. I've always been a fan of the show, so it's it's nice to, to be on and talk some hockey. Well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate your time and being available to do this. And I don't know what your thoughts were coming up to the as the deadline was getting closer and closer, and uh, certainly with the team that you cover, the uh, the Rebels, uh, they're right near the top of the uh, the Eastern Conference. What were your expectations for what Red Red Deer would or would not do as the deadline approached? Well, you know, before I talked with Brent Sutter, as you know, the owner and general manager of the Rebels, he, um, you know, I, I kind of expected, um, you know, the Red Deer to make some moves. But once I talked to him, um, you know, I figured that, you know, if their opportunity was there, they might. But I wasn't expecting, like, you know, um, a blockbuster trade like we saw on some of those deals. But, um, you know, I was expecting something I... I, you know, I kind of thought, and, and he did address it, I kind of thought he would address maybe add another defenseman. I wasn't expecting him to add a forward like he did, but, um, you know, I was I was surprised by that. But um, overall, I think, you know, it was as expected as what Brent was going to do once I once I talked to him. All right, well, the deals that uh, the Rebels did make, they brought in Nick Andrusiak from the Portland Winterhawks for a seventh-round pick, and uh, a couple of days before the deadline, they also made a trade with the uh, Prince George Cougars, uh, bringing in Riker Singer uh, for Arjun Bawa, a second and a seventh. And uh, Singer's had an immediate impact. He wasn't a big point producer up in PG, but, man, he's two goals in his first two games with Red Deer. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, his first game. He scored two goals. He also had a fight that game. So he, he was pretty clear he wanted to make an impact as soon as he got on the ice for the <laughs> for the team, and they were shorthanded that game as well. So, um it was good to see that he contributed right away. I'm sure that probably had to feel good for him as well. I, I'm wondering if, from a Red Deer perspective, their big addition uh, near the deadline is actually a guy they've had on their roster all year but hasn't been available to them. Just getting Ben King back, and I think we're expecting him back in the next uh, couple of weeks, that uh, big addition for them might be their deadline deal without having to make a deal. Yeah. Um, when I was talking with, with Sutter, he said that that's going to be their biggest transaction of the of the deadline is getting him back. And I mean, you can't blame him. A 50 goal scorer coming back to the team. That's always going to help. And, uh, it was like right before Christmas, I think it was, I saw Ben walking around without his boot on him. He was on crutches before. So, um, Sutter said it would probably be in the next 10 days or so. I approximately, he didn't, he said it'd be the 10 days, but you never know. There might be a setback, but Rebels fans can be hopeful that he's probably going to return in the next 10 days or so. All right. Well, knock on wood, there is no uh, type of setback because he's uh, been a terrific player for Red Deer and you never want to see a guy struggle with injuries in his final year of junior hockey. Uh, getting him back and getting him back healthy, what does that do for Red Deer in terms of the pecking order in the West, in the Eastern Conference of the WHL? I mean, they're they're neck and neck right now with Winnipeg at the top of the standings. Saskatoon hot on their heels, sort of a three-horse race at the top. Uh, but Winnipeg does have four games in hand, and Saskatoon has three uh, on Red Deer right now. But uh, getting Ben King back healthy, where, where do you put the, the, the Rebels in the pecking order? 
oh, it's it's huge for for Red Deer to get him back because, um, you know, we saw, you know, Red Deer lose to Saskatoon. You saw him lose to Winnipeg, um, and those were all without Ben King. And he's a he's a difference maker, and you know, he's coming to a team that's already. Um, pretty successful, as you said. You know, they're top of the Central Division and they're up at top of the Eastern Conference as well. And you know, every time you can add a guy who scores 50 goals, that's going to make you a lot better. So I think, you know, I think that puts them up there with with Winnipeg once he once he comes back because you saw Red Deer, you know, address more defense. So they already had one of the best defensive cores in the league, and then you add some more offense and some good goaltending as well. I think, you know, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in the playoffs for sure. All right, let's look at some of what the other teams did. And the, the Winnipeg Ice are sitting in first place in the in, in the conference right now, and they made three significant additions uh, before the deadline. Uh, Zach Ostopchuk, uh, the biggest one, and the return for Vancouver on this one, it, I'll be honest, it shocked me. The three first-rounders going uh, to Vancouver uh, from Winnipeg as well as uh, a player and a fifth-rounder as well. Um, that was a lot to give up. I think he's a a very good player. He had a terrific playoff last year, uh, but it still surprised me that uh, it cost that much to get a stop check out of Vancouver. Uh, what sort of an impact do you think he makes in Winnipeg, though? Yeah, I mean they're already adding. I mean, he, him coming to the team, you know, they're already a really good team and make it even better, kind of similar to uh, Seattle as well. You know, adding well, potentially adding Gunther. You know, it just adds already more to the team that they already had before. And I was just as surprised as you were, like the the price was massive. And, and this really year in general, the asking prices for some of these top players are huge. And um, I know this is my first year covering in the Western Hockey League. I don't, I, I've paid attention in the past, but not quite as closely as I am now. But it seems like the asking prices are getting bigger now than they were before. But maybe that's just me. Well, it seems to me there's fewer buyers this year and maybe less sellers as well. And that, uh, you know, the supply and demand kind of draws the uh, the prices up. And uh, from Vancouver's perspective, they're in the thick of the, of the playoff race in their own right and trying to finish, you know, in the fourth spot and maybe get a uh, an easier opponent to get into the second round. So to get their arguably their best player was going to cost them a lot. Uh, and Winnipeg paid the price. Now, the other two guys that uh, Winnipeg picked up, uh, both of them have size. Carson Latimer, six foot one, uh, and Easton Armstrong, six foot three, and then a stop check, six foot three. So they're they're beefing up as well as adding guys who can uh, contribute offensively. And I thought that was the thing that was exposed about the Winnipeg Ice last year against Edmonton, who was, you know, skill wise they were maybe on par with each other, but Edmonton was bigger and and a more veteran team. Uh, Winnipeg seems to have taken note of that and addressed that this year. Uh, would you agree? Oh yes, definitely. I think there that makes a lot more size. Like I, I used to work in Prince Albert, so I saw Carson Latimer, uh, you know, play a little bit too. And yeah, he's a he's a big kid, so um, I definitely think that they got they got bigger. And and that's the, you know, the name of the game in the playoffs is it's a physical, much more physical game as as you know. So um, any more size you can get and grit you can get. You know, it's probably going to help you in the long run in the playoffs. I mean, you need goal scorers, but you also need guys who can who can hit. Otherwise, you're just going to get bullied around in the playoffs. So, I think they're going to be well built for a playoff run. So, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, um, you know, in the conference finals and in the WHL championship by the season's end with with the roster that they have. 
The other club that was busy at the top end of uh, the conference was the Saskatoon Blades, picking up Jake Chason from the uh, Brandon Weekings uh, for you know a couple of second round picks, first rounder as well. So I mean, uh, Brandon does pretty well in that. Uh, Chason, uh, Edmonton Oiler prospect, uh, should add another offensive weapon to the to the Blades arsenal, and uh, that's a team that maybe has surprised people uh, outside of the WHL and and maybe even outside of the conference. Uh, but uh, you talk to people around Saskatoon and. And they feel like uh, this is where they expected they would be. I'm a little bit surprised, maybe not uh, stunned or shocked, but this is a team that looks like they can compete, and they're going to be a difficult out when it comes to playoff time. What do you think of the the move to add uh, Jake Chason? Yeah, so Saskatoon, I know when, last time they were here, when I was watching them, I, was, I wasn't surprised, but I was impressed with you know how they were just a really fast um, physical team, and you know, they kept up with Red Deer in, in scoring that game. It was a high-scoring game. I can't remember exactly the, the score, but when you can add Chase on, who obviously is an NHL draftee, and, you know, he's getting bigger and he's, you know, trying to get better so he can make the, um, you know, the Edmonton Oilers um, eventually. You know, he, he's got 10 goals and 18 assists um, so far this year, and I think being in Saskatoon, it's going to, you know, help him, help him out and help them out at the same time. He's going to probably going to be you know a top six guy on that team so you know i think it's big move by saskatoon to to get better in you know in a conference that you know is kind of somewhat top heavy but it's also pretty pretty deep as well so i think it helps them big time and really outside of those three teams the the eastern conference i mean there was some shuffling of deck chairs but nothing earth shattering at least not in my opinion did that surprise you at all? Maybe you disagreed. You thought there was a, another trade or two that were of significant. Um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a lot of a lot of moves. Uh, I kind of agree with you in the sense that you know I, I wasn't expecting a, a ton. But um, you know, despite Regina saying that you know they were going to trade to Bedard, I thought maybe they would they, it would still maybe happen. Hmm. Um, I wasn't sure exactly because you saw some of the asking prices. Um, for some of these players, you know, Bedard would have to cost a lot, but I was still thinking maybe that Regina would do it. I can I can see both sides of the the argument where you know uh, Regina would want to keep him because you know they're gonna, when draft time comes they're either going to say from the Regina Pats and that has a lot of value. But at the same time, you know they could set up their franchise for a long time by moving him, and once he leaves next season, I don't think Regina is really going to get. Uh, you know, much better than, you, you know, to just to say like Regina's most likely not a playoff team without, with the Dard not in the lineup this year. So um, he's a, he's a difference maker. So I thought, you know, maybe they, they might move him to, you know, make their future a little bit better, but you know, they didn't. And I don't blame them either because, you know, having him on your team is, is huge for ticket prices. And also when the initial draft comes, they're going to be able to save from the Regina Pats. So I don't blame them, but, you know, I thought maybe they, they might move him. Heck, as it is, Regina right now sitting seventh. As you and I are chatting, they they've got forty points, and Swift Current's one behind them, and Brandon is two behind them uh, in sitting in ninth place. So uh, the Pats' playoff spot isn't—it's far from wrapped up at this point. Lots of hockey still to be played uh, in the uh, in the WHL this season. So it's going to bode for an interesting second half of the year. Uh, when we talk about Moose Jaw and Calgary and Lethbridge, these are teams that are in the four or five, six Regina seventh spot. I'm looking at it thinking whoever finishes fourth and fifth, they're happy because they avoid the top three. 
and they have a fighting chance to get into the second round. And right now, with so many teams who suffered through the COVID era, with uh, you know, they just want to recoup some of the losses that they had. And I'm wondering if that played a factor in why some of those teams really weren't all that active. I mean, you could have made an argument for the Calgary Hitmen to trade guys like Riley Fiddler Schultz because he's not back next year, and Sean Chagall maybe. But from their perspective, let's keep those guys because they're really good, and with them, we might get to the second round and, and uh, get some money. Yeah, with Calgary in particular, I mean, they're obviously still in a playoff spot in the number five spot there. I mean, they're they're still 21-12, and 12, so I mean, they still got a pretty good record, so... I think their mindset must be that they want to make a run in the in the playoffs. But if they're going to do that, I'm surprised maybe they didn't try to add to their team a little bit. Moose Jaw, I think, is built really well. I got the the chance to watch um, Braden Yeager play for Team Canada when Holinka Gretzky Cup was in Red Deer here this past summer, mm-hmm. and um, he's he's amazing to watch live. Um, you know, I think he's going to be. Whoever gets who ends up drafting him in the NHL, I think is gonna you know be pretty happy because he he's got you know the goal scorer's mentality and he's he's very talented, very talented kid. So um, you know I think Moose Jaw is gonna be well built going into the playoffs as well. Um, you know Calgary, like I said, they have a good decent record, so they can maybe make some make some noise in the playoffs. Push I mean, anything can happen in the playoffs, right? As you know. So um, I think that's probably some of these teams mindsets that, you know, we're going to go in with these rosters because we feel comfortable with them and we'll see what happens in the playoffs. Uh, lastly, uh, uh, Ian, and I appreciate your time, but when, I don't know how much you exposure you've had to the Western conference because the, the two conferences have been so separate for the last number of years, but do you have a sense of, of who the top team is? out west and is there a team in the east that you think can beat that team yeah, so well west i mean it's, it's kind of uh you know it's an easy choice because they're number one but i think there's a few reasons why they're, they're the best team in the in the west is the seattle thunbirds i mean they were already a, a pretty dominant team before the trade let deadline but then they add um you know make some moves like they did before at the deadline here and i mean they got the rights to Dylan Gunther, and if he ends up coming back, you know they're already going to be a, a team to going to be the team to beat. I think like I I don't see them um, you know not making it far in the playoffs. Like you got to think the conference finals at, at the least with the team that they have, and and their goaltending is is great um, mm-hmm. as well. Their defense is great. You got Zach Benson. I saw him play for Canada, and then uh, their goalie, which his name is of my mind right now. So I play for in Ratslav. Uh, Ratslav, yeah. So him play for Canada. He's he's very good as well. Um, so I think they're the team to beat in the West. As far as in the East. Um, you know, I think Winnipeg is probably the best bet to to beat them. Um, I think when Red Deer is playing at their best, I think they could potentially beat them as well. I mean, when you get Ben King back, they're going to look a lot different, like we were talking about before. And, I mean, for a little bit there, they were, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, they were one of the best teams in the Canadian Hockey League when they were on their 15-game wedge streak. So, um, you know, like I said, anything can happen in the playoffs, but, I think Seattle is probably the team to beat at this point. Ian, uh, I agree with you. I think Seattle is the team to beat as well. Uh, the Oil Kings are in Red Deer on Friday, which means I'm at the Century. I'm again, uh, stop by the booth. Say hello. Will do. Hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks for thanks for having me on. That's Ian Gustafson from the Red Deer Advocate uh, down there in uh, Central Alberta. We'll be there on Friday as the Oil Kings take on the Rebels. Busy weekend in the WHL, as you would expect this time of year. 
And uh, I guess we can officially say that the second half of the season, heck, it's the stretch drive to the playoffs now. And that makes it exciting, super exciting. Uh, and I think there's going to be some great hockey across the CHL as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. Some terrific uh, races in all three uh, leagues and in the conferences in each league. Man, it's, it's going to be fantastic. And that does it for this week's episode. I appreciate all the guests that you heard from this week and uh, next week. Well, we've got the CHL Top Prospect game coming up. The USHL has the uh, All-American game. The focus uh, shifts again a lot more towards the NHL draft and, of course, uh, what happens during the course of the regular season. Didn't have an NCAA segment this week, so you definitely know we'll have one next week. We'll get back to kind of what we do on a, a normal basis here on the Pipeline Show, but we've got lots to talk about for sure. Make sure you get out and watch some junior college hockey between now and then so that we have something to talk about next week right here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Guy Flaming. See ya.